Ignition sequence starts. Three, two, one. Welcome back to University Everybody, the podcast where we explore the hard-hitting questions about Earth, existence, and the unknown. I'm AJ Perrin. Your host with me, as always, is... Judson Martin. And apparently Siri is, too. Siri's listening in today. She wants to to get involved in the conversation. She (laughs) says, I couldn't find a relevant podcast. Well, you did now, Siri. Um, Anyway, today we're back following up last week's episode talking about moons to talk about more moons with you today. Yeah. Right? So I was... um, Last episode, we got about through half of our stuff, which was just focusing on our moon alone. And we were going to continue that conversation into, you know, is the case of how moons formed and how many moons there are, whatever, the same across all planets? Because our kind of vision, at least for Earth, is like you get the planet and you get the moon. We call it, literally call it the moon because there's just one of them here, right? But it's right. you look anywhere outside of our own planet and things turn a little crazy. The rest of the planets... Um, they're technically called satellites and so is our moon called a satellite, but we just call it a moon. And then in order to distinguish between the, the human made objects that right. uh, orbit the, the planets and collect data and then the celestial bodies, we just call them moons. So the current tally of moons in the entire solar system, let's see, is 290. We, we've documented 290 moons. Um, but if we look beyond planets to other small bodies like asteroids or things in the Kuiper belt, um, that number can get all the way up to 470. Yeah, right? there's a lot. Which seems crazy in its own, but then we know that we have gotten so good at spotting moons at this point. Like, you know, we have the James Webb Space Telescope. We can look at other galaxies or yeah. planets inside other galaxies. Like, yeah. obviously, we can search every reach of our own solar system. We, Sorry, my point is we're so good at spotting moons now that are orbiting planets that the International Astronomical Union literally won't name moons anymore unless they're of, quote, significant scientific interest. So there are a bunch of moons out there that just won't even get names. And it's predicted that there are still thousands of moons to discover within our own solar system that will just never get a name because we don't care at this point. Yeah, like they'll just be assigned like a couple letters and a number rather than like, because I think most moons are named based on like gods, like whether it's Greek or Norse or something like that. Like characters Um, in big tales. Yeah, well... Yeah, just like normally Greek and Roman yeah. mythology. But right. um, yeah, they're not doing that anymore. But I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here. We still have news and brain gains to yes. cover. Yes, right. So let's get through that first. Yeah, I just wanted to give people a little tease, you know what I'm saying, before we get into the episode. Right. Right. Okay, so let's jump into news and brain gains first. Do you want to start, Judd, with news or do you want me to start with news? What do you want to do? Yeah, sure. I'll jump into some news. Let's go um, for it. So... If you follow our, us on Instagram, you might have saw our pick of the day from a few days ago. Well, it, when you're hearing this episode, it would have been a while ago, but um, it was a picture of some spiral galaxies that the James Webb Space Telescope took. They were kind of color shifted so that the, basically they were looking at spiral galaxies and the dust in those spiral galaxies that haven't like conglomerated into either a planet, moon, black hole, whatever. They're, right. they're just dust. And so they color shifted them so that dust was like really red and then the kind of the blank space was like blue and black and I don't know, they were really sweet. But these images were taken as a part of a study with over 150 astronomers um, gathering data on 
where is that dust that hasn't been formed into like a planet or or a, a star or anything like that? Where is that located within a spiral galaxy? Because then we can kind of maybe get an understanding of, okay, where are the stars forming? How are the stars forming? Because we've planets. got a spiral galaxy, you're saying? Uh, yeah, the Milky Way is, yeah. is a spiral galaxy. But I don't know. If you've seen some of the other types of galaxies, there's all, I don't know, the galaxy formation is pretty cool. The, some yeah. of those shapes and images of them are just really sweet. Yeah, I think... Um, maybe on the one episode you weren't here last fall where we talked about free will, which is, um, they talked about, or I talked about in a new segment, there's a certain shape of galaxy where it's like a bar yeah. across the middle, like a bar. And then the spirals kind of start further out, but there's like one central band. Maybe it's called a band they call it, but I can't remember. Or I, I know what you're talking about. I just don't know that. I think the it's spiral barred galaxies. They would call it, but a note on the James Webb space telescope, like picturing galaxies or anything really, you'll notice the really bright spots in the pictures will have like kind of light rays like going off like glints almost, yeah. right just kind of like how you squint in your eyes and the the strips of light bands of light go from the objects well every space telescope historically like has their own kind of shape almost that they make out of those like refract- a watermark almost. right right so like james was webb i think is uh is a six-pointed star like mm, that's cool you know um or maybe eight and then Hubble was like maybe like four or something like that. They're not doing this on purpose to like create a watermark, but it just yeah. has to do with the the, the lens or the shape of the the telescope or something like that. I wonder if it's just because aren't those like the or the shape of the the origami or, or the the geometry of those pieces are yeah to capture the light. That's what I mean. They're hexagons, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Are they are they octagons? No idea. Also, a cool point on James Webb is that. If you've ever wondered like, oh, why haven't we taken like an awesome picture of Earth with James Webb? Well, think about the fact that we're taking pictures. When you look up in the night sky, um, like you can't just like see a galaxy because it's really dark and there's light pollution or whatever. Even like when we're observing really far out galaxies, when you're in deep space, it's like they're not the brightest objects. There's not like a bunch of light reflecting off of them. Like when we take pictures of nebula, it's helpful if there's really bright like um, young stars or something behind it to illuminate the clouds of dust. Yeah. Um, and so James Webb has to take a long time to let enough light reach its lens to like create these wonderful pictures. We can't do that by looking at Earth because Earth is really bright in the sun. If we're going to take a picture of Earth in the daytime or even at nighttime when lights are on and stuff like that, it's just too much light for James Webb to handle. That's not w- the purpose it was built for. If you've ever seen a picture of James Webb, there's like shields yeah. around certain parts of it to block out light, for example, coming from our sun or coming from our own planet and stuff like that. So it's purposefully pointed away from us. There's a lot that goes into selecting at what time is James Webb going to look at these galaxies because first of all, it can't look towards the sun at all because those shields need to be facing the sun. So it needs to look away from the sun. Getting a time slot for JWST is kind of a whole thing. And then they have to plan out how to do that. And then it takes energy to shift the Reorient telescope. telescope yeah. and it's a big deal. It's a, a lot goes into it. Next news. Next news is from a company called Intuitive Machines. Um, they have an upcoming launch. The first or like the biggest lunar commercial landing space company. So they're building um, lunar landers that kind of harbor NASA scientific and technology instruments um, to study the surface of the moon. I just think it's pretty cool that you know it's a commercial company doing this. And this is company is pretty small. It only has around 200 employees. It was founded in 200 or two, 2013. And the stock um, is not doing well, right? You shouldn't buy the stock, right? We can't give any... University Podcast is not giving any um, advice on investments. But right. 
Uh, yeah, they already have three planned launches um, yeah. to the lunar surface, which is pretty cool. And this launch um, is going to launch on the 14th. So I'm pretty sure that's Valentine's Day. Ooh. Valentine's Day launch. Love is in the air? No. No. Space the intuitive shows, machine space, yeah. thing is in the air. Yeah. Um, it'll land on the surface of the moon on the 22nd. So cool. uh, it's carrying instruments that are going to study plume surface interactions, space weather slash lunar surface interactions, radio astronomy precision landing technologies, as well as communication and navigation nodes for future autonomous navigation. So maybe some stuff for uh, the Artemis program, I'm guessing. I could, I could imagine so. I don't know. That comes straight from the NASA website, if you couldn't tell. Yeah. I, I think they'd rather them describe themselves than us describe themselves. At this point in time, the amount of times we're saying, oh, this company's launching something to the moon, or we've got a moon landing or moon landing, it's going to start like becoming way more frequent and yeah. not less cool, just like more and more common, uh, which means we're like getting really close to having cool things set up on the moon that we've talked about and planned about since like the fifties with that one program we talked about episodes ago that was like classified, forget what, you know what I'm talking or about? Or the one like army one. Yeah, yeah. They were like moon, secret moon base. And we're going to do a declassified episode on that. I think they sometime. were building, yeah, they had the rifles too and all mm -hmm. that or weird stuff, but Anyways. Oh, yeah, the landmine, the the remote landmine guns. Yeah. It wasn't that what it's called? Yeah, okay. That's my news. What do you got? Okay, so first things first is that NASA's PACE mission launched, um, which completely snuck under my radar, to be honest. I think, I, you know how they have the, it launched on a SpaceX rocket. You know, they have like the regular rocket and then they have like the bulkhead, quote yeah. unquote, like on the top, yeah. right? And so for a pick of the day, uh, maybe a week ago, I s did a picture of that bulkhead like being wheeled out of some facility. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like I've never even heard of this mission. And then like literally two days later, it was like, launched. And I was like, oh, okay. That happened kind of fast. Um, but basically if you're not familiar with the PACE mission, its goal is to study the ocean and the atmosphere. Like simple as that. So first off, again, like kind of straight from NASA, they want to understand how the ocean and the atmosphere exchange CO2. They want to reveal how aerosols in the atmosphere might fuel phytoplankton growth on the surface not something I was like aware of that is some like system in our climate, what, but whatever. Um, they also want to identify the extent and duration of harmful algal blooms. So on the surface of the ocean, like stuff that's not supposed to be there, like how fast yeah. is it growing? How long yeah. it's been there? Basically just overarching more about how the planet essentially breathes, like how it works, you know, whether it's the atmosphere, whether it's the oceans, the energy that the ocean distributes, stuff like that. Um, so we can make better long-term predictions and stuff like that. So cool. I think any mission like that is got to be so complex because to build a good simulation about climate or anything like that, like we use supercomputers because there's so many variables that go into it. You right. know, it's like predicting wasn't one of the millennium problems, prize problems, predicting how water fluids move or something like that or yeah, hurricane. Navier Stokes equations. Right. So it's like, imagine that, but with, aerosols in the atmosphere and then phytoplankton in the sea. And then you're seeing how those things mix and making predictions, stuff like that. So we'll keep an eye on pace um, as it launches like into orbit, you yeah. know, how it uh, operates anyway. So besides pace, we also have, I have nothing written down about this cause I just want to hear your thought, but the Apple vision pro launched. Um, Very cool. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm just saying this cause I don't have one, but I honestly don't know how super interested I would be in it besides just like, trying it 
for the yeah. first time you know i don't know really what their end goal is maybe it's just to like be able to put it on like sunglasses and not have it be like a big mask i don't know i saw an article where they're like this isn't apple's like final vision for the size and form factor i'm like pr- kind of obviously right like there's a lot of research into what people find as acceptable for wearable technology they're like would you wear you know this watch that is like this big or whatever it's like what if you had these funny like ear cuffs that like spoke to you like an ai or something like you know just because it's new and cool doesn't mean people would want to wear it so like apple obviously has a vision to make this as not obvious as possible that you're using the tech tech yeah i'd guess i think because, I don't know, everybody's probably seen the image of the one guy, like, crossing the street, or it's, like, kind of a funny yeah, video. Yeah, where he's, he's like, tapping it. everywhere. And stuff. It's just, like, I don't know. I think there just needs to be a disconnect between technology and, and uh, humans' everyday lives. Like, a little bit. Like, you can't have it be everything. But I also know Apple, like, at a certain point, Apple's going to run out of ideas of stuff that they can make. Like, it can only make so many differences. Like, nowadays, the differences in the phones are pretty much zero. So it's like, those are their products. What are they, where can they expand? So I'm sure that's kind of why they're doing it. But whether or not it's a good thing is, you know, up for your own opinion. Yeah. I think that people have this weird dystopian vision where we'll become so addicted to our technology. Like, you know, it's already getting strapped to our face. And at some point, it's just like, we're not even going to like look outside or go outside without having something on or whatever. I don't think, I mean, I might bite my own words. Like, at some point about this, but I don't just don't think that'll ever be the case because yeah, it's really, sometimes it's really annoying to have that much I think so too. technology like with you and present all the time. It, it feels you can't replicate like walking. For example, one of the things I love is after work when I walk out of the building, like into the parking lot, because you've been in that stagnant air all day. And then like, that just feels so good. Go outside, you know, yeah. that enough is like enough, you know, I don't need to be, using my phone and you we've already proved before that humans can't multitask like are we really trying to get people to walk and use their phone now more than they already do i don't know there's another video and this would maybe would be one case where it's useful to have there's another video of somebody working on their car like a mechanic or whatever and they look over press play on the youtube Mm -hmm. video see what's the next step they can pause it and then so maybe a way to train people on on how to do stuff which which could be cool but you know it works just as well as that though just have your laptop open next to you. Yeah. You know, I did see a video where a guy was cooking and kind of doing the same thing. Yeah. But the thing I didn't like about it is like he had four different tabs kind of open. He's like, over here, I can look at this recipe and over here, I can look at instructions for my oven or whatever. I'm like, have you ever felt the need to take out four cookbooks at a time or four th- whatever at a time? It's like, no, you're just opening those windows and tabs just for the sake of the fact that you have the technology and you want to feel like you can do everything. You also get you don't like, need it. You know, you don't need it. If you're ever working on your, I don't know me personally, if I'm ever working on my laptop and I have like 20 tabs open, I'm like, well, how can I close these? Out. It's yeah. like, it's like you mentioned, just like being able to just kind of go outside after you've worked for a long time inside and just breathe, like just getting outside is, yeah. it feels good to get out of there. Yeah. Maybe we should make an Touching episode grass. about like why it's good to get outside or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, for the computer science majors. Um, so, okay, we let's move on. News is over. Time for brain gains. Judd, you want to start? Yeah, so my brain gains is about the color of the sun. Nice. So when we're looking at the sun um, through our atmosphere, it appears yellow. So like if you're going to draw, you know, if you're a kid and you're drawing your picture of, of some trees and some green grass and some brown dirt and then you have a yellow sun in the corner, well, you're wrong, kid. It's just <laughs> incorrect. Um the sun is actually just, it emits white light. The light that the sun emits is white, but due to our atmosphere and also it's just some of the, the fiery nature of the, the sun, it appears yellow. But yeah, when we 
when we look at the light that the sun is emitting when it reflects off of snow or water or things like that we actually see it as white it's white light rather than yeah like it's not yellow snow right most of the time well there is some yellow snow yeah When the sun sets, it's red, right? right. Like, it, or it gets like closer to red or whatever. Different How it hues gets scattered. And yeah, different. it's exactly. It's because the atmosphere reflects the blue light, which is why we see the atmosphere or the sky as blue. But so when the sun's coming down, that leaves what the red hues and the yellow hues. And the closer it gets to the horizon, the more the light touches and skims the atmosphere before you know it's yeah at, we're not seeing as, it at a different angle. Yeah, not as steep yeah. of an angle. So more of the light scatters, and then when it reaches us, it's red, which is cool. We saw some, I don't know, winter is normally not a time that you associate with like cool sunsets, but just kind of like I saw a really cool one the other day and it was like, I don't know, it was awesome. Yeah. Sunsets will never not be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now we got a, wait, was that brain gains? No, you. you Oh, I got to do my brain gains. Um, You know Pompeii. Do you know what Pompeii is? Yeah. Okay. So for any of you who don't know what Pompeii is, this might just refresh your memory. You mean right? Yeah. Eh, eh, oh, (laughs) eh, oh, eh, eh. No. Um, so... Got to think hard about if I'm going to keep that in. So basically, <laughs> it's a city in like, this is where I'll get it wrong, but this is the part that you shouldn't care as much about. Italian city, volcano erupts, um, you know, bakes the whole city, kills everyone, whatever, major disaster. And so it's like, that's the the cream of the crop for archaeologists. It's like, oh, you know, hidden city that was buried beneath all the rubble. Yeah. So you might have seen, if you've looked up pictures of Pompeii, the ash figures right of the people who were petrified mm-hmm. in the city literal like in whatever they were doing i know there's you know there's people sleeping there's people eating there's people like whatever it's just anything you can imagine like they've caught these people i think there's maybe 100 or 200 casts at this point like bodies they found the idea was that you see these and you think these were the people just caught under all this ash and they became like baked in time yeah. but that wasn't the case because the city was so filled with rubble that yes they were covered with ash but then the bodies themselves still decomposed right. so if they were going to start tearing away the city what they'd find is the cavities that these bodies left behind so the reason that we have these petrified stone figures or whatever is because we filled them we humans would find these molds that were left behind by the bodies and pour in mm. material to fill it up and solidify and then break away the rock around it. And that's how we can see the body, not because it was like petrified there as just a, a cast for all of eternity. It's because when the body rotted, it left a hole. Yeah, I don't know. I have a, this semester I have a class in like the geology slash like history building. Oh, what? Know. It's just kind of like a, it's kind of like a part of science that I guess I just don't know a lot about. I haven't, you know, you don't think of it as like the most interesting science, at least me personally. You but literally said geology last episode. You were like, enough of the geology. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing is like, I don't know. I, you don't think of it as the super cool stuff, but like, yeah, it's, it's cool. True that. Okay, so now we got to move on um, right into the episode. So like we said earlier today, we're going to be talking about moons elsewhere in the solar system so we've got a lot in store we've got like we want to talk about some of the most interesting moons that you can find out there right we want to talk to you about why there are so many moons over here and no moons over here and we want to talk to you about how these moons showed up and why they're not planets and all this stuff um but i think like after a good news and brain gain segment it's just time for like a break and then we'll come back sure good okay Welcome back to university. Or you don't like when I say that, right? I have to say, welcome back from the break. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, the, the university's still in session. We're just... Right. Took a break, breather. 
We went to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, so welcome back from the break. We're going to jump into now talking about moons. And I think the best place to start is talking about like the count of moons or, or why there's so many some places and, and none others, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. So some planets like Mercury or Venus, and if you don't know, those are the two closest planets to the sun, right? They have no moons whatsoever. Not a single moon on uh, Mercury or Venus, but others like Saturn or Jupiter have dozens. Yeah. Now, some of them, hundreds even. Well, yeah, does Saturn have more than 100? Saturn, I'm pretty sure, has got more than 100. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, Saturn's got 146. Well, we'll get into Saturn later, though, because I feel like Saturn gets to cheat a little bit with its rings, right? Questionable. Questionable. Anyway, so Mercury and Venus, speaking of them, um, they may have had moons in the past, but what we know is that based on their distance from the sun and their size, um, any moon that they may have had at some point um, would have been unstable in orbit over a long period of time. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're gone now at least. So there's no, there's no way for us to know if they did at some point, but we can guess that it would have been possible, right? Yeah. Anything's possible. The easiest trend to recognize when we're looking at how many moons a planet has is what's its distance from the sun? What's its this distance from other planets? Um, and how big is it? If you look towards Jupiter and Saturn, they have dozens of moons, um, but this is because the sun's effect is significantly weaker out there. So there's this phenomenon called, I think people call it gravitational, um, what do you call it? When, allegiance, gravitational allegiance. Are you talking about like where if it, something gets close to the gravity of the planet, it breaks up? No, 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 no. I'm talking about like if a, if a moon, if a planet gets a moon, is its allegiance to the sun gravitationally or the planet? You know, there's like a balance. Oh, wouldn't it just be, would it be like whatever it's orbiting or you're saying like whether it's just which one is stronger and eventually going to take over? Yeah, which one is stronger and would take over? Because a, a moon just can't sustain its orbit if the dominant right. effect is the sun, yeah. right? Um, so this way, Jupiter and Saturn are dominating a huge portion of space because they're ginormous and they're really far away from the sun. So that kind of works in their favor to get a bunch of moons. That's why they have dozens. Also, because of the fact that Saturn and Jupiter are further away from the sun, this means that they have more opportunity to, to pull in all the little pieces of gas and dust that yeah. are floating around. Really easy to capture that kind of stuff. It's very common that moons of Saturn and Jupiter form from, and of all the other gas giants, Uranus and Neptune, form from the dust that the planets collect, right. then forming into balls themselves. Yeah, and like as I talked about earlier, kind of in the preview of the episode, there's a difference between, like a satellite and a moon are the same thing, but in order for a satellite to be classified as a moon, there's like a certain, it has to be like of a certain size. Jupiter actually has thousands of satellites, um, but with only 95 of them have been classified as a moon. Right. Um, just because, like you said, it occupies such a large portion of space with its gravity and its giant dyna- mm-hmm. diameter. So I forget the kind of the way we like do the classifications for sizes, but I do remember in the Space Junk episode, no, Space Rocks episode, we were like dwarf planets are like planets, but they don't have a strong enough gravity where they can like dominate, sig- their, dominate other spaces. Their gravitational or their orbit. Yeah, they were saying, the article I remember reading said they can't clear their own path, yeah. but it's kind of hard to imagine what that would look like, but they're, they're weaklings, right? It's not just because they're small, it's because they can't dominate, you know? Right. Um, anyway, so. Because they actually, well, speaking of that one, there's one moon, um, which is planet sized. It's one of Saturn's moons. Um, or sorry, no, it's one of, 
Yeah, Saturn's moons. Oh, it's okay. like the size of a planet, um, but it's doesn't it it doesn't meet the other qualifications for a moon. Yeah, or, or for, well, a planet. for a planet. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, even our own moon. This is me jumping ahead again, but I think it fits with exactly what you're saying. Even our own moon is bigger than Pluto. Um, so the classifications on satellites and dwarf planets and asteroids and planets, whatever, it gets messy. Probably now is a good time if we're going to talk about how moons show up in the first place. It'd probably be good to get a quick refresher on everything we talked about last episode. If you haven't listened to that, you could always go listen to that. But if you don't want to, Judd, can you give a crash course on like kind of a, a couple ways that moons can show up? Yeah. So in the last episode, we kind of talked about four different ways. The main sort of ways that we know that Earth's moon could have formed, which is similar to our solar system, are one, it was captured. So it came from somewhere else in space and it happened to get messed up into Earth's gravity and be strong enough to maintain an orbit. So there's that way, or it's the conglomeration of dust and particles and those just kind of form the ones that are circling around Earth. And as we'll talk about with Saturn's rings, that might be one thing that's going on there, or it could be some sort of collision. So if something collides with a planet, for example, then maybe there's a larger piece that forms off and maintains the orbit and stays as a moon. And then the final way would be some sort of like ejection of mass based on like molten rock or something like that from the planet if it's spinning right. fast enough. And that's kind of one theory that there was for the moon. But we yeah. talked about last episode that maybe that one wasn't right. And then there's the planetary birds and the bees that you talked about last episode where it was like, you know, they like each other a lot. And yeah. And right. then if they. Right. Right. If Who has custody. Two planets really stuff, like each yeah, other. Right. And there's a moon. Yeah. Yep. Now let's talk about how that applies to other planets in our solar system. So uh, every way that we talked about last episode, like Judd said, is a legit way that they could have formed elsewhere in our solar system. Even the idea, um, which seemed crazy to me last episode, but even the idea of like catching literally another object in space and like having that get sucked into your gravity and becoming part of your local system is possible. And it becomes a lot easier when you're a gas giant, the gas giants, um, hashtag. So Pluto is a great example of what distance can do. I don't actually know. Do you know how the moons of Pluto showed up? I'm fairly certain they were from capture based off of their shapes and stuff like that, like not collisions and stuff, but, um, because the moons are really small, and so it's not likely that they were formed from dust clouds because there wasn't enough mass to for it to clump together. Where's the gravity, right? right? So presuming asteroid capture, Pluto had to be really far away. We know that to be true, but like you can start to see if you go really, really far out, things anything becomes possible. Like I said, Pluto's smaller than our moon, but it's so far out it has five moons of its own. Yeah, you know, think about it. It's like our moon having five moons. That would not be possible here, obviously, even if even if Pluto was at this distance from the sun, but it has that space to dominate. So. Yeah. And then like another reason why we would assume capture is because the shape of them, because something that was formed through like gravity and just pieces clumping together, you'd expect to be more spherical, not necessarily perfectly spherical, but more spherical than something that was captured um, like an asteroid because asteroids are very oblong and have weird shapes and yeah, they could have come from any other number of right collisions right. or, and I don't know. One thing that kind of stood out f in some of these pictures of these moons was just the amount of like impact craters from asteroids that have hit these moons. Cause they don't have an atmosphere to protect them from, from asteroid impacts. So there's a lot of stuff impacting the surface of, of these moons. Yeah. Oh, also, there's other dwarf planets beyond Pluto too that have moons of their own. So this isn't not like a one and done case with Pluto. This like 
if you look at different dwarf planets closer, like Ceres or Ceres, which is between Mars and Jupiter, I think, yeah. no moons, distance, you know, crazy how that happens. Um, so the terrestrial planets, we don't have dust clouds. And that's the big factor with the number of moons too, is like, well, if you already are able to capture a bunch of dust, give it tens, hundreds, millions of years, um, tens, hundreds, I meant tens or hundreds of millions of years. doesn't matter. It's like this dust that's around you can form into any number of moons with any number of properties. While we're on the topic of rings, it's commonly thought that only Saturn has rings, right? But yeah. every single gas giant has rings. Even I did not know that until this episode. Every single gas giant, Jupiter, Neptune, Uranus, they all have rings as well. Right. But we can only really see Saturn's really well. And we'll do a whole another episode on like why that is and Saturn's rings and whatnot. But just like it's because they're so far away from the sun and they're so big in the first place that literally any amount of mass that flies by can still be caught. Those two gravitational fields of the object and the planet itself can get wrapped up in one another and then given enough time, you get these rings that show up. That's why the terrestrial planets like Earth and Mars and the closer ones, Venus and Mercury, don't have them. Yeah, and one thing is like some of the, a lot of those rings, not necessarily all of them, but most of them are a lot closer to the planet than the moons that have actually like stayed there. And so one other like theory for how these some of these rings is there's a the place in space close to or an orbit close to the um, planet itself called the Roche limit. And if you're within this orbit, the idea is that this moon will eventually break apart because the gravity of the planet is so strong compared to the gravity of that moon like itself that it starts to break that moon apart into smaller and smaller pieces, eventually small enough maybe to be the Saturn's rings. So, You know how if you're skating or if you're watching a figure skater and they pull their arms and they spin faster, right? Yeah. Well, you might be thinking, how can these moons just spin themselves apart, right? Well, the closer you bring the two masses together, this orbit is going to speed up how quickly they're like moving around each other. Right. And so it's quite possible to get something to break up just from from spinning yeah yeah saturn and jupiter most of their moons are in a really really perfect orbit and this is because they come from the rings right they're not just yes there are probably some that were asteroid captures or whatever but the reason their orbits are so perfect is because these rings formed before the moons formed and then the moons formed from the rings yeah there are a couple moons within saturn's rings the moons serve a purpose within the rings to keep the rings in line because the way that the gravities um, of the objects within the rings mess with each other, I guess, the moons actually serve a purpose. Yeah. It's cool. In a previous episode, AJ and I talked about the Cassini spacecraft. Um, and so during the research for this episode, I was able to see that a lot of Saturn's moons had some of the best pictures or like the coolest pictures because Cassini flew by relatively close and took pictures of some of them. Um, so that was pretty cool. But one of the moons that I found interesting, I guess, was the Hi moon called Hyperion. Um, it was believed to have been part of like a larger moon and then that was broken up by an asteroid impact um, because Hyperion has a really weird or distinct shape. It looks kind of like a potato. Um, and So it's clipped. It yeah, it's kind of clipped from off. the side and there's a chunk. And the reason we don't think it was an asteroid, which I'll kind of talk about if you, like you don't one, think it was an asteroid originally right and yeah. capture we don't think right. it was formed from capture because it doesn't have the same makeup as some of the asteroids uh like the asteroid belts that we normally see capture take place from yeah like the composition of the rock itself yeah, yeah. cool this shape gives the 
uh, the moon a very Hyperion a very strange spin or like a very irregular spin. It's something that we haven't really been able to predict um, because it's also really close to Titan, another one of Saturn's moons, um, which has a larger gravity. And so it, it's really affecting the, the orbit and causing it to spin kind of out of control. What about Jupiter? Are there any notable ones? Like I know a little bit about the moons of Jupiter, but not... Yeah, and we've, we talked about one of them in another episode. Um, we've talked about Europa before. Um, that's the one that people are saying, like, oh, there might be carbon on Europa and the subsurface ocean and stuff. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, well, we, we think there's subsurface oceans on a lot of, like, when during the research of this episode, I saw that we think there's subsurface oceans on a lot of moons. Yeah. Um, but Europa was significant because we also thought it has some of the other building blocks for life, yeah. like the um, necessary building blocks of those amino acids and proteins that that form life how unlucky how unlucky we were to get a moon that's made of cheese like everybody else gets an ocean and you know whatever just looks like white cheese yeah gouda yeah it looks like it is cheese judd oh okay. Okay. yeah that's what buzz said when he yep he yep. ate that he lifted his helmet up and <laughs> he took it up. he's okay. a monster monster i think he would be dead yeah if he took the helmet off anyways Another interesting fact about Europa, it has the smoothest surface of any body in the solar system, which is kind of weird because, you know, how does something form like that? Um, yeah. And it also say it was the most reflective or am I thinking of a different object maybe? That could be, I, I but so. I might be Europa because I think there might be some like surface ice on Europa mm -hmm. and that's what yeah. makes it both smooth and shiny. Shiny. So yeah. like your damn head. Okay. Like, <laughs> never mind. I can't say that. <laughs> on to the next moon. <laughs> You're cutting all that out. Yeah. On to the next moon. Ganymede. Um, this is the largest moon in our solar system. Um, and it's also the only moon that has its own magnetic field, which means it has a core of, of molten lava that's moving around and, and creating, generating a magnetic field. And you, if you've also listened to our previous episode on auroras with our special guest, you would know oh. that magnetic field causes auroras. So Ganymede yeah. has its own auroras, which is pretty sweet. Are they the same color? I, like, I don't know if you know that, but I'd just curious. Well, or are all auroras the same color kind of? It has to do with the atmosphere. Never well, yeah, and it, it has to do with the, atm the atmosphere. And mm -hmm. as our guest kind of talked about, there's auroras occur in both the visible light spectrum, so stuff that we can see, but auroras also happen in other parts of the electromagnetic spectrum, so stuff that we can't see and they wouldn't emit necessarily any kind of color. But. Yeah. You said, uh, just speaking of Ganymede, this is the largest moon in the solar system, right? Yeah. Like the yeah, so this is the one that I kind of got it mixed up. I said earlier it was from Saturn, but it's actually yeah. one of Jupiter's moons. This is the size of um, small planets. So. Yeah, yeah, it's bigger than it's bigger than Mercury. Yeah, but so that kind of shows how if you're if you're a gas giant, you don't f around. You know, you get to control space. Right, and yeah. just kind of with that weird way of how we classify things in space. This is bigger, but it's a moon. because it's yeah. a moon, and it's it's not even an exoplanet because it's in another planet's orbit, so it's mm -hmm. considered a moon, and so all that stuff gets kind of weird, but think about the fact that this moon has activity on it and stuff too it's like other moons are literally useless rocky like balls that's it you know yeah. and other moons get oceans ice aurora um, volcanic activity you know all that kind of stuff i just think it'd be really cool to be like on the surface of jupiter or or some other planet that has a bunch of moons because like I don't know. I always think of on Tatooine where it has two moons. Yeah. You see that picture just where wait, it's just bro, two I'll moons. Blow your way cooler. Mind. And then imagine if one of them has auroras going on on it too and you can see yeah. that from Earth. That would just be sweet. But yeah, that would be cool. We're stuck with cheese. Mm -hmm. um, 
or even seeing them during the day too. That's the other thing. And we see we see the our moon sometimes yeah. during the the day. No, I know, but like just imagine like a dotted a bunch more, yeah. and they all look different. They're not just we've been looking at the same face of the moon for millions of years. It'd be cool. Yeah. But oh well. Yeah, Ganymede also has evidence of an underwater ocean. So it's kind of surprising to me how many of these have planets oceans. we assume have some sort of underwater ocean. Again, really like how, how unlucky did we get? Yeah. Yeah. Also, Jupiter's got Io, which is the most volcanically active body, period, in the solar system, which is funny because we talked about Venus. Remember when, back when we were talking about the guy who did the submarine who was like, you know, I just killed all those people. Now I'm going to go like make us a thing on Venus. You remember yeah. that? I was yeah. th- he was going to make this like floating city in Venus. Right. Yeah. So, um, Venus, we talked about that episode, why Venus sucks, why you would never think you'd want to like set up a habitable space there, right? Well, like Io comes in a close second to hell in our solar system. It's just like volcanoes everywhere. So um, that's pretty cool too. We could, we should also talk about Mars though, because I think Mars is weird in the fact that it's a terrestrial planet, not like many planets further away from the sun than earth, but its moon situation is very different. It's got two moons, and both are thought to have come from asteroid capture, which even though we've talked about, it's harder to capture an asteroid the closer you are to the sun. So it's a co- it's not a coincidence, but weird that it happened twice, right. right, in my opinion. And also, if you're wondering, you know, how do we know it came from asteroid capture? If you look at the surfaces of the moons compared to Mars, it's like, okay, well, this is not the same at all. You right. know, we're looking at two very distinctly different bodies. So, And kind of like I mentioned earlier, one of them, which uh, called Deimos, uh, is made up of dark sea-type rocks, which are, I guess, the type of rock that we see out in the, the, very f- the outer asteroid belt um, in our solar system. So, so you're saying like it ha- came from out there or something? That's what our best theory yeah. is, yeah. Deimos orbits Mars every 30 hours, whereas Phobos orbits Mars every three days, which is just kind of, that seems like very separate. Yeah. And so it, it's just based on how close they are to, to Mars and the, the distances they have to travel. I kept thinking about this more and more. I was like, how is it possible that Mars captured two asteroids, you know, and we've captured none and other planets like further out. I'm like, I don't, I don't care. I understand. Like you have the distance, you have the size, like yeah, like, you know, it's not a flex that they got asteroids, but to Mars, it was just weird to me. But I was thinking like, well, we said terrestrial planets don't get the dust rings, but they can get asteroid captures. And I think there's a pretty logical explanation for this because asteroids themselves have gravity. And so it's easier for the two gravitational fields, that of the asteroid and that of the planet to come intertwined and overlap with each other and have an effect on one another versus Mars, like as dust is whizzing past, it's weird to think that it seems like if you, you know, if you have a baseball mitt and I'm like, here's a bowling ball, like you're going to have a lot of an, a a lot easier time with a tennis ball. But when it comes to gravity and things in space, that's not necessarily the case. Like catching a moon is going to be a lot easier than catching dust at the same distance. And I think for something to be able to like stay in orbit around a planet that close to the sun, it has to have some sort of initial momentum coming in. Whereas that dust is kind of more stagnant and not necessarily moving. True. Well, and true. momentum is also based on mass. So if it's a really small object, it's going to have low momentum and just kind of get sucked by the sun. Whereas mm-hmm. these asteroids are able to be, if they get close enough and hit it by at the right angle, they're able to get captured by Mars and, and stay there. Kind yeah. of like you said. That's just weird to me that gravity exists not it's not weird that it exists it's just weird that you'd see these invisible forces acting on one another that's dependent on size 
Right. Yeah. Like these simulations that you said, those these simulations occur on supercomputers because each of these particles has an effect on another. Butterfly effects, yeah. I think I've mentioned a couple times, like I'm kind of jealous that Earth didn't have like maybe more moons or like I'm, I'm grateful for our situation, but still, it's like what, why did Mars get two and they came from the asteroids and whatever. And so I was thinking about it, I was like, it still doesn't quite make sense to me why Earth didn't get a single moon from asteroid capture, even a really, really small one, because we had millions of impacts over the Earth's entire lifetime, right? And not a single one we were able to capture. And on top of that, it's like, okay, I said earlier, distance matters. Mars is further away, but Mars is also smaller. You know, Earth is a little bit bigger. Right. Yes. But it's just like, Earth's got the size advantage, even though it's a little closer to the sun. I still think we should have caught something. You know, I'm a little disappointed in that. I mean, yeah, it's a bummer. But we talked, we had a whole episode about how cool our moon is. So, hey. Yeah. Try not to hate on it too The moon much. got its own episode. Yeah, no, no hate at all. Um, and it is, again, that's one of the things, if we're thinking about how did we not catch any from asteroids, it's like, well, now I feel even more that our moon that came from this random giant collision is like, that's not a, in my eyes, it's just not a coincidence. Right. You know, and that's not a scientific theory. That's just like a different theory, but it's just weird to me that, that the moon showed up in the first place and it's it's the way it, that it is. And no maybe, ocean, but, you know. And w- maybe part of that is just like, if something ever does get in orbit around Earth, maybe our moon ends up like with all the with all the impact craters on the moon. Maybe one of those was once a really Colliding. small moon, and, oh, and yeah. they just collided. Because I don't know. One thing that I learned was when looking at Phobos and Deimos, these are both extremely littered with impact craters. Phobos has one that's actually six miles across, which is takes up half of one side of the moon. Um, yeah. So it's giant. Half of oh wow yeah. yeah so it's so a huge small one moon then right? compared to the moon. Yeah. Um, but there's a process. What are the odds? That small moon just like dodging everything and then this, damn, whatever. Huge. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's cool. Yeah. There's a process of how like some of these, some asteroids don't have a lot of, of these impact craters, but there's a process called, a process called tidal warming. I don't know why it gets that name, but it's the process of how these craters will disappear over time based on just kind of the gravity of the planet. We'll take rocks from the edges of the of the impact crater and pull them towards the center until that hole just kind of like fills, fills itself up. in and then the the crater kind of disappears and that's a process that happens over a very very long time i was gonna say like the earth has big craters too though right like what about the one in the yucatan peninsula did, did that kind of happen to that too i i and this is i think that this process happens over an extremely long time and sure. there's also ways that this process gets prevented on some moons and I don't, I don't think I took great enough notes to maybe talk on that completely. And it was something that just kind of came up. But yeah, I don't know. It's a weird process on how these craters will actually go away. I swear I'll say one more thing about it and then shut up. But I think it's weird. I was wondering about this. You know, last episode we said the moon formed from giant collision. That's the we talked all about last episode. I'm not even plugging right now. I'm just saying like we we explained why it's the most logical scenario the the easiest the easiest way to make everything about its composition and stuff make sense however i was thinking how many other moons form from giant collisions right yeah as far as i could tell i'm not saying zero but even i wasn't finding any nasa articles saying like hey this is what this moon formed this is what this moon formed from it's right. like you know aggregation of is that the right word don't know um like the collection of dust around planets or asteroid capture or whatever but it's like the collision it didn't seem to happen that much outside of earth yeah not saying that's that that's a coincidence but it becomes weirder when we know that the terrestrial planets 
have very few moons in the first place, right? Our next door neighbors, Venus and Mercury, zero moons. Right. And we're the only terrestrial planet with a large moon. Mm -hmm. The moon is the fourth largest one, the moon, meaning our moon is the fourth largest one in the entire solar system. And we're this close to the sun and we were still able to like make this relationship work. You yeah. know what I'm saying? That's I don't know so how, weird to me. And that's just why the formation of our moon is such an interesting topic. The Our moon and um, Earth are made of like similar material because it was right. from some sort of impact and, right. and that type of thing. So why then are they so different looking and appearing? And it just seems like there should be more similarities than there are. It's the same, but clearly over 100 million years, like things Differences, yeah. take way different paths. Yeah. Anyway, um, I've just got a couple like random things to skim through. That was like my other interesting. Yeah, info. perfect. I mean, I've got through the info that I have, so. Cool. Okay, so first off, you said um, something about like Tatooine, right? Yeah. Okay, so there's this thing called the three body problem, which you know about, I'm guessing, which is like if you have three giant bodies that all have their own gravity, trying to make them coexist, not crash into each other, whatever, is difficult. Right. Okay. Notoriously difficult, especially, um, it basically, it says like a satellite can't have a satellite of its own. That's why our moon doesn't have a moon. Mm-hmm. Moon, moon moons, moon. right? We, talked we, we haven't found a moon moon yet. Right. But technically speaking, satellites of satellites can happen. That's what happens in our solar system. Right. We have a moon. We're a satellite of the sun. Mm-hmm. So, um, according to BBC, you know, this was last episode and I was, I was looking at the moon moons too. They said, they said, because the planets, the controlling influence or the sun, whatever way you're looking at it, like they just don't coexist, right? The moon itself or the first satellite wouldn't, if it's a satellite, that means it doesn't have that compelling of a gravitational field. Therefore, how could it ever capture something of its own? Yeah. Cause I don't know for those that listened to the last episode, you maybe try, listen to me, try to explain how in one of the simulations for how the moon was formed, where the molten rock got spewed out, there was three bodies. There was the yeah. moon, or there was the earth, and then there was the moon, and then one other large chunk, and how eventually one of those large chunks got sucked in just because the moon, or the earth, was large enough to pull it back in. Yeah. And that was a horrible explanation. If you want to see that, <laughs> just go watch the video. Don't yeah. listen to me. Look up look up some videos. But, um, but it all comes down to space, yeah. right? Like the distance. So if you give it the distance, it can happen. That's like the sun, moon, earth thing we were talking, the, the first example I gave. Now, let's turn and look at this um, about Tatooine. The, on Tatooine, if you know anything about Star Wars, there's two suns. And so it's like the idea of two suns. Well, that's a three-body problem. Tatooine, two suns. How does that happen? The idea of two suns isn't impossible. And in fact, it's one of the only things that like Star Wars got kind of scientifically semi-accurate you know i'm not i'm not hating on star wars but just um no, i'm pretty sure hyperspeed is accurate it's one of the weird things that they kind of like made mainstream that actually makes sense as long as the orbiting satellite aka tatooine in this situation is far enough away then the two suns essentially to tatooine just seem like one their yeah. center of mass is far enough away from tatooine that tatooine's just going to orbit both of them in the two suns themselves, as long as they have the correct distance from each other, they like orbit, orbit each other. Each other. Yeah, exactly. I think there's also, there's part of the LIGO detector, which we've talked about before. The LIGO detector is detecting gravitational waves from um, two black holes orbiting each other. And so that's something that we can see the ripples in space time from because these black holes send such large waves of gravi- gravity as they orbit each other. Yeah, and so it's kind of like one set of waves too, right? It's not right. just like two distinct sets. They're kind of like the same body from that distance. And so that'd be similar to, you know, the two suns orbiting each other, like you're saying. But. Yeah, another weird point. 
some of the moons in the solar system orbit opposite the spin of the planet. Sorry, I said orbit. I meant spin. The moon spinning goes the opposite of the spin of the planet, which um, I don't know anything about why moons spin one way or the other, but I know it's very uncommon for them to spin backwards. I'm learning about it this semester, so I'll let you know. My prediction is that it has something to do with like it's set into motion and there's no reason for it to not stay in motion. Sure. Right? Newton. There's also a really cool guy named Scott S. Shepard, um, who's an American astronomer, and he's involved with the discovery of over 100 moons. I think it's like close to 130 at this point, but just like um, he either discovered them like himself or he's credited among like a couple other names. I was just Mm -hmm. scrolling on like a list. I didn't find this information on purpose. I just like saw his name a a bunch of times. I was like, who is this guy? So anyway, Scott S. Shepard. All of these moons he discovered, or most of them, most of the moons he discovered, he discovered before he was 30 years old. So yeah. he just got busy and just started finding these moons. And he actually discovered most of Jupiter's moons. You know the other guy who's like given credit most of the time for discovering some of Jupiter's moons? Who? Galileo. Like imagine being put <laughs> in the same sentence as Galileo. It's That's like cool. Scott S. Shepard and Galileo are the people who discover the moons. You and, know? and Galileo only like, did four. You and know? He seems like he would have had a lot better telescope than Galileo. Yeah. Yeah. Galileo had no idea what he was up against. Um, and what's also crazy is that as I was reading about gas giants who have a bunch of moons, like this was a couple weeks ago, but I threw it into this episode as well. I got to this end of this longer article on astronomy.com. And guess who the author was? It was that guy. Yeah. I was like, what? Oh, it's so weird. It's like weird how that comes all the way back around. But I was like, we should have him on for an episode and just be like, how'd you do what it? What were you doing? <laughs> like, what were you doing? Just like, he's like, boom, found him, boom, found him, boom. You know, hit him up. Mm-hmm. He's got to be like a professor somewhere. We've got to be able to find him. Yeah. We'll, we'll track him down next episode. Scott. Another moon episode. Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> no, but if, um, Hey, but if our Patreon subscribers don't, vote on him then we'll just be like, hey sorry I, I hate to break it to you too but like they're not that interested no i'm kidding oh phobos that's the other moon on mars we talked about um yeah it's getting closer to mars every single year and in 50 million years it's predicted to either break up or like judd said hit that you say roche limit right yep. yeah hit that roche limit where it will just break up yeah so. break up or impact the planet one of the two right one of the two one last time i'll say how disappointed i am that our moon doesn't have that many interesting things on it I, well, that will get disproved as the decades go on and our, the missions to the moon like discover maybe we'll find some cool, cool things yeah this was my point sometimes i just read my notes not remembering what my point was but i've i it clicked saturn and jupiter and gas giant moons have oceans and interesting things and there's a reason why the closer moons like mars um and earth don't and that's because it's colder in the outer solar system so water in the form of ice it's easier for water to exist as a solid form and get joined in with other clumps of stuff in the outer solar system right again i didn't even mean for this to like click in my brain but another coincidence like why does earth have water then because that means we've already talked about this before but so much water had to be carried from the outer solar system and i don't know what i'm doing with my hand here but um Water had to be transported from the outer solar system and like crash into Earth and bring it here. Um, so there's a lot of asteroids wild. hit us. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Seems crazy. I really, I would like that theory to get disproved sometime in the future into something that makes a little more sense. But like that's a very, that's a very well documented and like proven phenomena that the Earth, yeah. the water accumulated over millions of years and cooled down the Earth via comets and asteroids and stuff, bringing it here. But Seems I want, crazy. Yeah, it seems like crazy. Just that A lot of asteroids. I and a know. lot of time. Yeah. 
Cool. Well, we've taken up a lot of time. Actually, not really. We had a, it was very like, like this. It's been about 45 this, minutes or so. Yeah. I was going to say, I think we started like 440 or 340 and we're just under an hour, but part of that was breaks and whatever. So good it's time talk. to wrap it up. Good, good talk. It was a great talk. I, I uh, just sent the listener shout out submission out again this morning to like so collect, we're picking some, one live. collect some more. So we're, we're literally picking one live. If you want to be a listener shout out, make sure to go interact with some of our stuff on Instagram. Um, and also huge shout out to our Patreons. And if you're interested in joining the Patreon, um, there's a link in our, in our link tree on Instagram. Um, and you get a bunch of cool benefits as well as a discount on our merch. So go check out the merch store if you want to help support the show. Yeah. Discounts are great or the benefits are crazy. What do we got going on right now? We got live streams, video episodes, early episodes, voting on stuff, Q and a on stuff. Um, even if you're a member, join and tell us you want something and we'll probably find a way to give it to you. Um, so, and yeah, the merch discounts though, pff, crazy. If you haven't checked out our store, um, on shoppocketscience.com, um, that's where we've got all our new. It's a cool way to spread the show. Yeah. And you also get something cool to wear along with it, you know? Yeah. Something so. sweet street wear. Some, some, sh- fuck, shut up. AJ. Just, okay. you're done. Yeah. yeah. So this week's listener shout out comes from Lainey, who is from Florida. And here's her message. She says, hi, I love when y'all have guests on. It's super fun to hear professionals explain things or talk about their experiences. Yeah. I also loved the Enceladus episode. It was awesome. That's like the third listener shout out where people say like the Enceladus episode killed. It's one of her best ones. Kind She's probably pretty happy to be sitting here in the moon episode. Right, we talked about it a little bit. Because we talked about it a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would love to hear more episodes on cool moons. No way. You got it. I didn't even plan that. Your wish came true. Yeah, that's great. And this will live on forever. <laughs> Her listener shout out will live on forever embedded in this episode. Yeah. Proof that we deliver. We do. Um, and she says, and also space missions that we have already done or that are coming up. And her special message is keep up the awesome work, guys. And I, I am a mechanical engineering student at UCF, Central Florida, yep. right? Yep. Um, and it's super fun to listen to you guys on my drive to school. It definitely inspires me to keep working hard so one day I can do something awesome in engineering as well. Yeah, keep it up. I mean, just do what sounds fun. I'm like very touched that somebody thinks like what we do is consider cool engineering. If you, you can do science, but if you can't communicate it, then it's practically useless. Right. Anyway, you're welcome, Laney, for the cool moon episode. Yeah, thank you for leaving us some feedback. So... Yeah, yeah, make sure if you want to be the next listener shout out, go to the Instagram. Go to the Instagram. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks to talk about whatever the hell you guys want to hear. Peace. One.